exactly does it mean to share your hotness? We all have our own unique spark. We are burning out of control like a wildfire, attracting attention, but is it the right kind of attention? All around us are people who are campfires. They don't get as much attention, but their story, their signature spark, their heat that attracts us close to them, those stories need to be shared. On this podcast, we're sharing their stories, their stories of resilience, overcoming, how to find joy, happiness, everyday people who found their spark and made their life amazing. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Share Your Hotness with your host, Lita Green, and my guest today, Talia Riley. Now, we are both in the National Speaker Association, and we, we've we been like having so much fun talking. I was like, stop being interesting. We have to do this on the podcast. <laughs> that was funny. I know. We can keep talking. Yeah. I mean, we're having conversations, but the whole point is that we share them as well. Because this all started because I just talked to people at the grocery store and I would have these amazing conversations with people that you would never like. I've now learned that there's no what you look like that that makes you fascinating. But, you know, if there's a stereotype out there, people that you would never assume had crazy, amazing stories. And, you know, <laughs> I kind of had an amazing story and nobody and nobody knew that either. So um, I'm like, hey, if I'm fascinating and they're fascinating, other people are fascinating. We should record that. Heck yeah, I love it. It's so awesome. So tell me about you, because half the time we've been at the Nationals, the NSA, it makes us sound like spies at the National Speaker Association meetings. You're on the other side of the room and my attendance has been spotty because of work lately. So, you know, tell me, tell me, tell everyone else more about you. Yes. First of all, thank you. I'm honored to be here with you. You're amazing. Um, so a little bit about me. I, I um, have got a pretty cool story and journey. I come from a family of some addiction and mental health and I realized when I was young, I didn't have any control over any of it. And I was the oldest of four kids. And so I found myself trying to find a way to have control over my situations in a, in a space that I felt helpless. And I turned to food at a super, super young age. And that was my comfort. It was my very best friend uh, throughout my life. And so part of my journey is I have gained and lost 80 pounds five different times in my life. Oh. That's amazing. Okay. I just read, I haven't had a chance to look it up, but this is just a conversation that when you eat, it calms down your fight or flight response. And so when you come from a stressful home life, which you did, right. And, and I did too. And I would, I always tell people like, I love the very act of chewing. And now, you know, from what I'd heard, again, I haven't been able to fully research it, but I'm fascinated by this concept that because it helps calm down the fight or flight, um, when you're always in that state, it just gives you like a respite. So yeah, I, no wonder you'd be addicted. Oh, (laughs) totally. It's like better than drugs. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um, you know what's interesting about what you just said is that was just kind of what I did um, was I just turned to food really young and I kept doing that. And then when I got into high school, I was in so much emotional pain that I would just go and numb out every night and just like a big bag of chips and my soda. And so you're in pain 
because of your home life and I'm assuming your social life at school is suffering, you know? Yeah. Oh, totally. I didn't feel like I had any friends. I always was kind of, um, the best friend, never, never the girlfriend. <laughs> ah, yeah. Um, and, and that was really hard for me because I saw people like doing fun things and dances and I always had a good personality, but, um, um, it was just crazy because I, I felt like I never could date and, um, it was just an interesting thing. So I, I really, really struggled with that. And I kept trying to find ways to, um, comfort myself in that space. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, you look at, um, you know, there's that, you know, the kid, we all know that kid that, you know, struggling with their weight and how they, you know, stereotypically are like looking down and they're on the edge of the group of friends. And you're just like, oh, it's so, so sad, you know, because, yeah. and, and, you know, and the, are, you know, they're prone to making judgments off of what they can see. Yeah. And that's where I was, was just in this space that um, I just felt so hopeless. I felt like there was nothing for me. I never was going to date. I ended up going to a, like a, a private school for a while. They got me out of the mix of this normal high school. And then I saw someone in my neighborhood that was about as heavy as I was. Um, and she was losing weight. Like she had this light about her in this glow. And I wanted to know what she did, but I was a sophomore and she was a senior. And it was like, I was super scared to ask her. I mean, two years, two years difference. I mean, are we even allowed to be in the same school? Yeah. Like she is, um, she was amazing. And I just had talked to her and she just gave me the best advice. She looked at me and she said, you know what? I just, um, exercise a little more every day. I try to eat less sugar and less flour. And I eat more fruits and vegetables, lots of water. So those were like her four tips. I'm like, well, everybody does that. But somehow, because she had done it, I'm like, well, I can do it. Every time I want to treat, I'll eat a fruit or I'll, you know. Yeah. And you'd mentioned, you know, feeling hopeless. I I think you used that word a couple of times. And so she was giving you hope. For sure. You know, and that's the power of a close example versus somebody you're like a celebrity or whatever. You're like, you don't know what it was someone that like real life I could relate to. We were the same weight. I remember feeling the same like vibration, right? I don't know. I just knew we were the same thing. And then all of a sudden her hair looked prettier and her skin looked clearer and her weight was down and she was happy and glowing. And I thought, I want to know how to do that. And so I just took those little bits of advice that we hear everywhere and I started jogging every day and it, it was slowly, but surely it was creating these amazing, um, like goals. And I started to feel better and I started to eat more fruits and vegetables because I liked to, and I craved it. And it was such a blessing to me because I was able to lose that 80 pounds, well, about 78 pounds the summer before I decided to go to the other high school. So there were two high schools. Half my friends went to one, half went to the other. And I thought, I just want a clean break. Yeah. I remember entering the high school and um, I was 78 pounds thinner. I still felt like I was a little bit broken inside. The weight hadn't changed all of this. And um, I like plucked my unibrow that was growing. On. <laughs> hey, I had that too. We joke, my dad was the missing link between ape and man. So I, every morning there's a little bit of pluckage that happens and I've had laser hair removal. So no no shame in that. No shame in that young ladies listening. 
Yeah. And so then I noticed my skin was just tan from jogging and I did put a few highlights in my hair. I felt like a brand new person. And I realized people treated me different by the way I looked. That it kind of mattered that like, I really had this thought people like you better when you're thin. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Now we're entering the uh uh-oh zone. We were. um, (laughs) I, I, uh, I didn't have extra weight, but I thought I did because my grandmother would call me fat. And I could bench press 165 pounds at 15. So obviously physically, I was not the same as other girls. Right. And I didn't have my front teeth. Oh, you know, so I was in a bicycle accident where I flew 30 feet and landed on my face. So from nine to 21, I did not have my front teeth. Wow. Yeah. So I had these two, there were three teeth that were knocked out and I had these two that were molded by the dentist that looked uh-huh. like it, like, Hey, you got oh. your Play-Doh in your mouth, you know, kind of comments from kids yeah. and then you know, a missing gap. And now as a parent, I'm like, why didn't they get me teeth? You right. know, like they're from, how old? from nine years old when they got knocked out to 21, which is why I say you're not an adult until you pay your own way. Right. Did you, you buy your own? Did you I get did. your own teeth? I did buy my and own. You have team. a beautiful smile. So I would have well, never known. This is my third set and last set. Yeah. I, but these beautiful. are, I mean, these are designer, you yeah. know? So, and a beautiful people, smile. People but what are an interesting story to share over my teeth. <laughs> about people because the way we view, the way people see us, right? Right. And, and those, so I was saying, you know, how I had these things that in my mind, you start getting these like, danger zones of if I look a certain way, then I'll be likable mm-hmm. when yes, first impressions are made off of how we look, but how much of the brokenness was because of the hopelessness of your home life and the hopelessness of feeling like you had control over yourself versus how much you were perceiving people to um, like or not like you because of the extra weight. You know, so it's a very delicate balance of how we take care of ourselves and how we, how we project to others that, you know, so now picking back up to your story, you're like, oh, people will like me if I'm thinner. Yes. And I was like, oh no. (laughs) Well, it's really interesting. Um, That's kind of what I lived with. So as I went through these emotional ups and downs in my life where I did continue gaining and losing and, and it was the, when a really emotional pain would come up for me, I would find myself in that cycle again, um, that I would still remember, okay, people still like you better, you know, um, (laughs) when you're thin and how am I going to figure this out? Like I kept going through these motions, but part of my journey was I, I had infertility issues. So I had 10 pregnancies to get my four kids. Yeah. I had 10 pregnancies to get my three kids, but I didn't, I was plenty fertile, but you were paying for infertility treatments, which. Well, I, I didn't actually pay for a lot of infertility treatments. Oh, okay. I just kept having miscarriages. Like I, I lost twins before my son was born and that set me back to the broken me as right. I Okay. And then I just had this thought, oh yeah, well, food protected me when I was young. Of course. Yeah. I'm going to go back to that because I want to keep this baby safe to grow. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm just going to eat to protect this child. That's what what my thought was. I'm I'm intrigued with, we had a similar situation 
And you described it as infertility. And I'm like, oh, I'm plenty fertile because <laughs> I get pregnant every time I meant to, you know? Right. So were you having months and months in between of not getting pregnant or did you yes. get pregnant easily? In fact, okay. so a little bit with my story, the four came, but they came almost in each decade when they did come. So each decade? Decade, 10 years. So like seven and a half years each child after the end. So I had a son afterwards. And okay, so how many years were you actively pursuing pregnancy? Honestly, I don't think we ever tried to avoid all those years. Okay. Okay. So do you uh, mind me asking how old you are now? No, I am. How old am I? I am 43 now. And yeah, I have I'm, a I'm 49. So I am no longer fertile <laughs> <laughs> and I had a hysterectomy. So that you know, it, uh, yeah. I joke well, that I, it think I still could be fertile. Out. And that's the scary part because my husband was an only child and the last one came in my forties, huge surprise. So okay. I ended up with one at 25, almost 25. He finally came and we were married at 19. So it took a while. Right. Right. And then, um, the next one, we had a miscarriage in between. I think there were two miscarriages in between there. The second one wasn't nearly as bad as the first, but then my daughter came and they were about two and a half years apart. Okay. And they were both in my twenties. So then we thought we were good. We got one of each. We're so happy. It's awesome. And went through another emotional. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you want to hear this. My husband fell off like a 17 and a half foot ladder. Oh. And we had a small farm that I was trying to run with animals that I knew nothing about. And I was out with bills of hay and all of this, and he couldn't even walk. Oh no. And I thought, oh man, this was tough. And I was working with some kids with just different, like they, they're gifted kids, but ADHD and dyslexia and some struggles there. And then I found out I started getting sick, husband down, working with kids, working with animals. And I was pregnant seven years later. Yeah. I was like, when you're in those years, you start feeling sick, just have a P test handy. You know? <laughs> and I was 34 when she was born. So you never took Almost birth control. You were trying to be pregnant the whole time. So was it like this every month? Did you get that keyed into it? Or was it just like, I'm hoping, I'm hoping. No, I never got that keyed into it. And I just never even missed a period. And I just thought, well, I don't know what's going to happen here. I thought, I always thought there was one more. So I guess I was open to it, not really thinking it would ever happen, to be honest, because we do right. have kind of a line of infertility. My sister had, you know, um, gone through menopause in her thirties. I just thought, oh, I was, wow. yeah, yeah, I thought it was That's done. Rough. Did she get kids? She ended up with two. And then, um, ironically enough, once I had my, you know, this third bonus was amazing. So almost seven years later on our 20 year anniversary, I, we went to Kauai and I came home not feeling so good. <laughs> my husband about died 43. He was almost 44 and I was 40 and she came. And so when, when the new one came, so I had a 16 year old and, and a new baby, oh, there you go. a new baby. And that was really difficult, but the best wonderful gift ever. And at that time, then my sister was there to watch the birth of my baby. And within one month of that, she'd always longed for another one. She had adopted another. Okay, I, I was like, wanting you to be like, and her ovaries opened up. And no. <laughs> no, she got to adopt this one that she had felt like was exactly perfect for her family. So she's got three and I ended up with four in all wow. different stages wow. of life. Yeah, that's yeah. I, I am so fertile that every time. I intended to get pregnant. I did. Oh, wow. See, for me, yeah. it would go years and it wouldn't, I well, wouldn't. It, it took years because I would have miscarriages and then I'd have to right. go get, 
I would get medically, so I was an interpreter for the deaf before. So I knew, and I trigger warning for women who've had miscarriages. I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings here, but I knew that if you have a pregnancy too close to another pregnancy, it can cause a miscarriage. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, I did just because I was a medical interpreter. So I would go and get medically cleared where they would like do an exam, Mm -hmm. you know, and then I'd go off whatever pill or whatever that, um, you know, um, IUD, you know, the other, the other more intimate ones, you know, that I would, you know, use. And every month that I was like, okay, we can get pregnant this month. I would, but I was never the case for me. I mean, I just wouldn't yeah. I'm 43 and I don't think I used anything to, pres- you know, really protect for a long time. And I mean, now we are, we're like serious, right? Like, no, yeah. like, no more. We're in our forties. We're like, but Is how old is your youngest now? She's three. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I have a friend that had a baby in her fifties, but, but oh. paid, paid, you know, all okay. the things. Yeah. And and I know friends in their fifties that have adopted, but you know what? I just, yeah, it was so interesting. I'm so grateful for this, but then basically how my story rolls is each time I got pregnant, I think it was my body's, um, and my brain's way of saying, "Uh Oh, you've had all these miscarriages. So let's protect this baby. When you gain that 83 pounds the first time with your son, he was okay. And he was healthy. So we're going to do it again. Yeah. Yeah. So the first time I was in high school, I lost, I gained the 80 and lost it down to 78. Then I had Caden and he, I gained 83 pounds. And, um, I mentioned to my husband that I was going to run a marathon and about blew him out of the water because he just thought, is this woman crazy? <laughs> well, my husband would, would, um, be very surprised if I said that. <laughs> right. And and at the time I probably was crazy, but the solution was, well, I ran when I was in high school and it worked. So I'm going to run a marathon. And he was trying to protect me with his logical brain. And I just thought, no, you're saying I can't do it. You know, and he nicely said, well, you're just had a baby and you don't have the marathon body. And I thought, oh, you know, but he didn't mean it that way. He just meant we're not thinking, you know, I was 83 pounds heavier. I was in over 200 pounds and five, two. And how, and how old were you? When I ran that marathon, um, I completed it one year after my son was born. And that would have put me at, um, about 25 and a half. Oh, okay. So, I mean, like if you just like pick up running at a certain age, which I I'm assuming I've entered into that certain age, you know, the joint shock you're going to have, I would imagine you'd have to do like some specialized training or something. Or yeah. Education. And back then I just started jogging. I mean, literally three houses. I thought I was going to die. <laughs> Then it went to a half a block. I mean, it was all about mindset. I can make it to this stop sign. I can make it to one mile. It was all about my brain and, and how bad I wanted it. And, and that's where I kind of like, I like to teach people about that because I'm writing a book about 53 tips. Awesome. It's called the food freedom factor. And it okay. literally gives the tips for that. So it's amazing. So why 53? Because there's 52 yeah. weeks in a year. There is. Just you had 53 tips. <laughs> Actually, you, I mean, I wasn't going to share it, but I'm totally a number person. Okay. Popped into my mind. There's 52 weeks in a year, but 53 popped into my mind. And it was literally like creation and helping, um, and, and helping other people and your dreams and your goals. And I thought, well, this is like the perfect number to give someone to help them just dive into what they want. So there was, there was actually some meaning behind the number on the, on the web. Who knows if it's right. And no, it's, but, it's right because it's your book. 
It's my book yeah. and it's 53. And it would be a great workbook. Yeah. Oh, it would. I haven't yeah. even thought about that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm working Wait, on good. a workbook for um, my um, improving it for my workshops, you know, for my hotness book. And uh, it's pretty fun. You pull those things out and then you're like breaking down the tips even right. more and like giving them challenges and homework. Right. I like that. So you should do that. You should do you know that. And I should. I'll leave like, some pages so they can do, because I'm giving tips on every page and then like a little bit of work on what to do. So I'm going to leave some space for that. I'm in the middle. Like well, I'm not necessarily in the book, but the workbook, it's a secondary book. They could like uh, download or something. So you've got your book because that's almost complete for me, but then you would add just a secondary workbook. Yeah. And the reason you do it that way, they'd go to your website and they could get like the free download or like a $2 download or something like that. Cause then you have their information and then you can, if you come up with 54 tips, boom, you can send it to them. <laughs> right. Yes. And there are some really, really awesome tips. And I can tell you because I've been the expert of eating over emotional pain throughout my life. Yeah. Giving people that food freedom factor to be able to have self-control around food and not eat an emotional pain. It's been amazing. And I do all the research on what I told you I'd heard, and then I'll buy your book and you'll save me having to do the research. We'll do it. I've done a lot of research. Yeah. I spent 10 years doing this. And that's even for me, like, am I really a speaker and a coach to moms about, and, and women and even corporations though, about hope. Like when you put together your mindset and your thoughts, you can have anything you dream. Absolutely. And my story just goes along with the weight and the infertility. And we all have our own struggle and trial, but this one is just a message of hope because it was hard for me. And I thought, am I really going to teach people one of the things that I've struggled with the most and I've heard people say, well, I don't need a coach or uh, even a speaker who does things exactly perfect and is absolutely wonderful at it. I just need someone who's real and gets it and can help me in the struggle, get out of it. Right. Well, you know, it's funny. Um, I, uh, before the pandemic, people used to get upset with me when they'd see me in the grocery store looking like I was a mom, uh-huh. you know, so I might not be dressed in a business suit and you know, like I've just come off the stage or whatever it is. They think that I look like all the time. Like right now I'm wearing a, um, I guess like a flannel material shirt and camo pants with, uh huh. you look amazing. Well, but you know, I'm not like a professional looking person right now. Right. Yeah. So people would see me like this and maybe my hair, um, you know, not as cutely styled or whatever, or not a lot of makeup. And they would literally get upset with me yeah. that I was not living up to my brand. And I'd be like, my brand, you mean me, how you perceive <laughs> me, you know, like that sounds like a perception problem on your side, not my side. Cause I can maintain doing me, but I can't maintain doing whatever it is you perceive me to be. And then during the pandemic, I read a few articles about how people were not wanting perfect role models anymore. They were not wanting, um, you know, those perfect images, they wanted reality. They wanted real life because they realized, you know, when they, you catch the snapshot of the celebrity with her nanny in the background, when we're all supposed to be living apart, yeah. you know, and they're like, wait a minute, her house is clean. Cause she's got somebody cleaning it for her. Right. Oh, and yeah. so I was like, oh, I'm perfectly positioned because, you know, like, like you, um, people don't want the person that intimidates them. They want the person they can relate to. And that's one thing about me, even now, I just realized as we're talking, 
relatable. My mom brain, I need to even plug in my computer and it's going to die. So I'm going to grab my charger. It'll take two seconds. But the deal is I am literally that relatable. Let me grab it real quick. But I am that well, fine. mom that can say, you know what? I, I And we can't hear her, but I think relatability is super important because it, we start to look at and compare other people and go, oh, they're living their life so well. And we just fill in the blanks and assume what we're seeing of their life and what they're projecting from their perfect glossy Instagram images when really they are, you know, they wake up in the morning, just like we do. They got to put their pants on or skirt or whatever, just like we do. And when we, the comparison is often said how it's the thief of joy. Right. And so we're looking at these people and assuming we know things. And so that's why I go out of my way to share pictures of me and my sleep apnea machine with me without makeup. And I have a lot of people, I make this like open face, like excited face when I take pictures with people and people are like, Lita, you look a lot better if you would just do like this nice smile. And I'm like, but I'm showing you my emotion. I'm not trying to be like, and look, perfect. You know, and I've been able to maintain a career of being more public, um, you know, for, I guess I've been speaking now for 13 years. Um, have you and, been with the National Speaking Association that long? No, I haven't. I actually didn't join right away because I had a perception that if, see how we're talking about perceptions, Absolutely. that if I didn't join as a full member, I wouldn't be, I'd be like, you know, and you have, and for those who don't know, you have to have like 20 paid speeches equaling like $25,000 in a year period. And so I was like, I can't join until I've met that qualification. Cause then I'll be one of the kids. Um, and I just assumed if I joined as a candidate member, they'd be like, oh, she's not like really with this. So I joined, got on the board right away, you know, like just threw both feet in and everything. Um, but that's totally not true. In fact, anyone who comes to me and is like, oh, I want to speak like you. I'm like, yeah, I could take a coaching fee or I could just be like, just come to NSA, just come to the National right. Speaker Association, hang out. We've got people there that are, you know, like Chad Hymas, who because of, um, you know, what I'm about to tell you, he's not there a whole lot, but he's making like 6 million a year, I heard. And I have no doubt. And, and he's, he's so annoying because he can break every speaker rule you learn. And he's just got the audience in the palm of his hand. He is literally one of the best in the world to, you know, Jason Hewlett, um, you know, Rob Frey, which by the way, I recommended Rob Frey to the National Speaker Association. You did? Yeah. And he's like doing like, 20 events a month now. And I just look at that and I'm tired. I'm like, I don't, I don't even want that. Like good for Rob, but I, I just joke. That's my contribution to the NSA. So um, yeah, I, I always just come, even if you're just thinking about speaking, even if you just want to get away from the craziness of life and be inspired by people that people pay thousands to hear. Cause the only people who speak at our, our meetings are people Amazing. making that they're, they're certified speaking professionals. So which and in January, we had one of the top, like, was it 30, what, 30 um, motivational speaker in the, the world or is it the country? I don't remember which one. Either way. And she was cool. amazing. Yeah. And so, speak about relatable. Did you not just love Elizabeth McCormick for that? She's absolutely. so relatable. Yeah. She's been a fighter pilot and everything, but you're like, we could hang. Well, and it's interesting because I wasn't able to um, get, be there in person. So I watched it all 
virtual. And then I got a weird, you know, I thought I'm going to, I love her book. And so I got online and I was just Googling a phone number and I called the number, not thinking anything of it. She totally answers and was so amazing. Like we had a conversation. She was giving me all these tips. Um, she awesome. was like, I'd love to send you the book. Like so amazing. And yet so successful in this business of sharing and coaching and teaching. And but I you mean, know, the top 30. Elizabeth does the work. You know what I'm saying? And um, you know, it's like you were talking about with what you're doing and what you're teaching people it doesn't work. You know, knowing something in your brain and implementing it are two totally different skill sets. Right. They don't have to be, but people know things they don't implement. Exactly. And it goes back to what you were saying about how much do you want it? How and, much and that's what's one, your discomfort level to the want? Yeah. And that's one thing I finally learned back then. I didn't even realize that what I was thinking was creating that result for me. And that's now I love to teach people. We get to have a choice in what we think about. I always tell my kids what we think about, we bring about, but really, yeah. truly, yeah. Those results that we get to create in our lives because of the thoughts and the feelings and then what we do and how we act show up as that result. And I love to be able to own that and to be able to say, all right, (laughs) my stinking thinking's getting in the way and I can help people change that because of where I have been. Right. And in a relatable way, instead of, you know, like I go to the hairdresser and I don't have one now that does this, but over the years, and I've had her just be like, oh, if you just blow dry your hair and do this, you'd be so much cuter. And I'm like, okay, why don't you blow dry my hair and see how long it takes two of you to do it, <laughs> right? Gorgeous hair. You know, uh, well, yeah, I mean- I do t- the air dry and the robe now. I, I, I do too, I do They're too, awesome. but it takes 40 minutes for professionals Wow, to blow dry my hair a lot of hair. Yeah. Well, I have a lot of hair and evidently it's thick. And when I was young, I, I was told we were native American, part native American come to find out my mother just liked that story. It's not actually true, Um, (laughs) but it fit because I had, you know, luscious locks and everything. But again, um, you know, it goes back to that comparison idea of everything you could do. Cause I do image consultant consulting and I'm a makeup artist for 30 some years now. And I'm always just teaching women just the bare minimal that they need to have that first impression work for them. Mm-hmm. Because humans are, are a long ways from evolving away from making judgment calls on what we see, making assessments about what we see in people. You know, if they don't see your teeth, if they see some extra weight, um, you know, if they see something that looks like a disease, you know, we are engineered to not want to be around that. You know, I was, like I said, I was a medical interpreter for the deaf and, you know, I met a woman who had leprosy and it was very interesting. Like I was in a medical situation. I knew I was perfectly safe, but I watched Ben Hur too many times, I guess the the movie Ben Hur and they had to avoid the lepers and, you know, but how I was not, um, it was something that I feel really bad that I wasn't as approachable to her. Uh you know, that I, I didn't want to like touch her or be as friendly to her. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I had the, like, be nice, be nice, but I was kind of keeping my distance and, and, uh, you know, we all experienced that during COVID. Totally. 
but I, I, a weird, a weird time and a weird space. I love what you're saying though, because I think I personally felt that like I being gaining 80 pounds, I mean, well over 200 pounds at five, two. And then I saw how people treated me, but again, I also was not in a good space in my thoughts. I mean, I really, truly probably exuded maybe self-loathing or pain or, you know, all of that. But then I find myself when I get back into myself, like my true identity, because that's one thing I love to teach is like, recognize your true identity. You know, what we eat, the addictions, the things we do, even our pain and our trials and our past, that's not our truth. That's not who we are. Reach it. Yeah. So I think I realized that I always saw people treating me different when I was thin, but now that I'm looking at it and I love this conversation because I'm just thinking of this now, I talked better to myself. I took better care of myself. I exuded more self-love. So what did I receive? All of those things back. Maybe it wasn't even about me being thin or heavy. It was about what I thought. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely the, you know, the science is out there. The studies show that people do have, um, you know, a fat prejudice. And I don't like to use fat phobia because we're using phobia too much. Phobia acts like you're afraid. Like I was literally exhibiting a fear of getting leprosy when I interacted with that woman. You know what I mean? Like that was what was holding me back a little bit. Um, Even though I intellectually knew that I was perfectly safe, you know, but um, you know, I mean, I think we've all had experiences where people have made judgments about us. I've actually dressed up where I'm dressed to the nines and I go into public places and compliment people. And I did this, you know, because of what I do for a living, you know, speaking on, you know, being kind and loving and, you know, self-love and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, affirmations and all uh, resilience, confidence. I'd love to know what you found out, what happened. So, and then I've also gone where I purposely gotten greasy, Mm -hmm. like three days overdue (laughs) on the shower and in clothes that are not good. And I'm the same person. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Same. So, you know, a week apart. Any makeup, anything? No, no, nothing like looking as yucky as I can okay. without putting on a facade. Like I didn't put, I didn't dress up like a homeless person. I took clothes from my own closet. Right. They were just not cute or maybe had some paint stains on them, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. And gone to the same places and did the same thing. And I've got the same mindset. Uh-huh. Okay. So going in, I thought, you know, people are going to treat me differently because I know the studies, Mm -hmm. but what's interesting is five, eight, nine, 10 times in Mm -hmm. of people being, uh, you know, holding their purse closer when I look like, you know, dirty. Really? Yeah. They'll hold, they'll literally hold their purse closer. It was rare for someone to turn their full body language to me and actually engage, you know, shoulder to shoulder. So what I mean by that is when you are actually into a conversation, people will mirror your body language. Okay. So if I fold my arms, it doesn't mean I don't want to talk to you. It means maybe I'm covering up my pooch, you know, or I'm cold, but if the person across from you does the same thing, they're, they're still into the conversation. Uh Okay. But our shoulders will be parallel to each other. You know, so we're facing each other where if I turn my shoulders away from you, that's me kind of unengaged. And that's why it's important when you got a big circle of people that you turn your, you know, you turn to welcome the new person in. So you're all mirroring that you're 
you're like a circle, right? That you always make room for the other person, you know, bringing them in with your, you know, bring them into the circle so they don't have to stand on the edge, you know, like we were talking about that poor little girl that you see, you know, kind of on the edge of her circles of, you know, peers and stuff like that. But it was interesting as I would be getting, you know, treated badly, which I knew that would happen, that people would kind of, uh, who is this? Yeah. How I started feeling yucky. Interesting. And, you know, I am a pretty positive person. I go by hotness and I, the self-work, the self-talk that I had to be like, no, you're still okay. You're just dirty, Lita. You know, and you remember you're doing an exercise, you're doing, uh, you were testing a theory here, right? So how you really interesting thing. I'm really impressed. Well, you know, you you do the things, right? (laughs) But it was interesting how my hypothesis was still proven correctly, but how I still had to check how that energy, how that rejection, how it made me feel. And so we can't really be too hard on ourselves. When we are in a space of not having our thinking where we need it to be, because there's an energy that's being repelled. And we as humans need that eyeball to eyeball time. Right. And if we're not getting that, mm -hmm. it starts to deplete us. We're not getting our well filled up, but there's a balance between the two, how you show up. So if you are heavier, if you do have, um, you know, don't have your teeth or whatever, you know, grooming and putting yourself together will help people not be as judgmental, but you got to do your part. Like we've been talking about of, are you being like, Oh, you're ready to reject me or let's have a conversation. Right. Um, what I love is I've noticed there's people that just exude self-love and confidence. Have you ever been around people like that, that you're like, I'm one of those people. Yeah. And you know what, to be honest, I love to share light and, and I'm still learning all the confidence piece, but people that know me know that I share love and light. I love people, but here's the deal that, um, that I just, I love those attractability. I love being around confident people that can stand there and own it and feel self-love. It doesn't matter if they're heavy, if they're not, I mean, they can just own that presence. And that to me is, is beautiful. So it's something I've always worked on. But what you were saying about that eye to eye. Well, and it's this, I wrote a book on confidence. That's what my first okay. book, How to Embrace Inner Hotness is about. But these are tools. It's not like I wake up in the morning or you wake up in the morning with all of your tools just on, on a 10, fully right. volume up. And it's just like a habit. Right. You they become habits. Yes. But different, you know, you, somebody might've said something that was really hurtful to you that you, you know, that you love, or, um, you know, there might've been a death in your family or, you know, something really sad happened and it rocks you. So you got, you have to pick up, you have to intentionally pick up the tools every morning. So nobody out there is just boom, here I am. We put ourselves together. So just keeping it relatable for everyone out there. I'm like, yeah, I am one of those people. I'm confident. I'm a light. I'm adorable. Right. <laughs> but I put myself together already. And over time, it becomes easier and easier and easier. That now it's such a skill set for me that I feel like I'm robbing the world of not showing up on purpose every time I leave my room. I love that. Oh, I love that. That's powerful. And, you know, you were talking about the eye to eye contact. I think 
when I'm living in that truth, for me, that true identity for me, I just, we exude that, but I find myself purposely trying to find other people that can't look me in the eyes, that can't see straight, that can't. So I've done that, like gone to Walmart, gone to Target, I'll see the kids in the aisles that are working or on their phones and I'll purposely try to get their attention. Now, a lot of times, sometimes I can't get them to look me in the eyes, but occasionally yeah. I can say well, something. Teenagers, you know, those kids, you know. <laughs> but occasionally I can say something and really truly mean it where they can feel it like, wow, she got a compliment that's genuine and they'll look up at me. And it's almost like when you can have that eye to eye contact and just like, I see you like yep. there's incredible people that we can help because of the trials that we've gone through. And I'm just super grateful to be able to speak and teach about something that, that was extremely excruciating and hard for me. Right. Because you're and, uh, able to shorten wait. someone's path, mm-hmm. you know, cause I'm sure you could think back to a conversation like that girl that told you, I'm just eating, you know, less sugar and more vegetables. I'm sure she wasn't like, oh, I changed that girl's life. Right. Do you know her name? Have you been able to reach out to her? You know what? I haven't. Her first name's Aubrey. I don't know her last name, but I bet I could find her. Yeah. And I am sharing her on a lot of my stories and in my, in my um, speeches and I haven't changed her name. I guess I probably should. <laughs> Sorry, I haven't. No, just, no, um, all you have but to do is. I'm not using your last name. It's discreet. I have no idea where I'd find her, yeah. but just say, you helped me. Like, yeah. And because I did it one time and lost that 78 pounds, I knew I could do it again and again and again. And that's so, resilience because right. when we're kids, we don't know that this thing can be overcome. This, you know, this beast in the room, right? We don't right. know we can slay the dragon. But after you've done it a few times, you're like, bring it on life. And I, you know, I don't mean that as an affirmation thing, but I know um, because of my challenges that I faced that I can do anything with God. Like, I know that. Right. There's you nothing. Know, I just hope do. it's not zombies because that evidently I can't do my house is set up completely wrong for zombies. I've been told that <laughs> by the experts. So, well, I, I'm just super grateful. I didn't realize all the amazing things about you. And I just love being able to share this, everything that we're doing. Well, I thank you very much, you know, but it's, um, you know, being a little bit older, (laughs) you know, it's, you mentioned something earlier that I wanted to tell you, just kind of like affirm you, right? You said, oh, does the world need another speaker? And I laugh because, you know, laughed inside because yeah, that's exactly how I felt when I was probably just my, my, I started speaking at 37. So when did you start speaking, Talia? You know, I, I, it's funny. I've dibbled and dabbled over the years. I I was a weight watchers coach through my weight gains and my off. And I Uh spoke for, for friends and people probably like the last five years. Okay. Seven years I've done speaking for different groups and virtual conferences, but I'm really wanting to jump in like big right now. This big, is right. Like- yeah. Well, I, I, I'm not even sure if I ever have been like, I want to jump in big just cause I'm like enjoying being a mom and you know, all that kind of stuff. So I give you credit for that. Well, when but I say jump I in like big, like- speak more and be able right. to reach more groups, but not, right. but still I have a three-year-old and a 19 year old. Right. So well, that, that doesn't, I, I mean, I started, I started speaking, you know, big or whatever, you know, for, 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 for real money. Um, when, uh, as after, after my daughter died, 
that I started, you know, going into doing that more. But I, I joke that I was kind of being pushed from my bossy daughter from heaven and, and God, you know, to do it. So it was kind of like, no, 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 you know, like I'm, I'm pushing, but the, the payday is when you have somebody, it's not uncommon now for someone to say, I heard you five years ago and my life has completely changed or I've changed this about my life. You inspired me, you know, to realize you could have been that little button that put the pieces that they already intellectually knew that you could have been the button to change that for them, to give that to them. I mean, what? That is amazing. And, you know, in this conversation that somebody who's in their, their first need to lose that 80 pounds, they're like, wow, she's done it five times, right? Like, wow, you know, you don't know how that's going to impact different people, right? And that's why we just got to keep putting good out there and making sure that we're not hanging out with poop, (laughs) right? We can't be associating ourselves with mentally negative and um, toxic things because it becomes a drain on who and what we, what gifts we have to give to the world. Right. So we are the all the that five people we hang out with, what we consume, what we eat. I mean, that is who we are. And it's just been a gift to be able to thank you for sharing that. Like about your daughter, I wanted to go back. My brain's wanting to say two things, but that's incredible because we look at it and we think, oh, well, my message could inspire like that. Little did this Aubrey know. And if she hears me, which she will one day, and she'll be like, oh my gosh, that was her from my neighborhood. How much she inspired me. Those are sometimes the right people in the right places at the right time to give them exactly what they need to move forward. And so what it, what a gift that we're trying to do this and that others are doing it on their journey. Um, so grateful for that. But yeah, I just, um, I'm just grateful for what you shared about that. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, in order, if you did want to share Aubrey's last name, all you have to do is get an email from them saying that's cool. Oh, cool. So, cause I share the full names of several people that have impacted me in my books. Um, one lady, Rita DeBry, I quote her every time. And I mean, she's in, well, she's a major impact in my life. And she was my next door neighbor that heard the yelling, saw, saw the stuff that was going on and took me under her wing without ever being unkind to my parents. But I decorate like her. Like there are so many things that I do as a mom and a wife that are Rita, I even married a man like her husband. Oh, she was that influential. I love oh, it. From eight years old on. And so, I mean, I, I am like, Oh, Rita, you know, like she's, and she's just a housewife that was raising her kids. You know, the, the annuals of history will never be like Rita DeBry, but to <laughs> me and my story, she was. And so whenever I, you mentioned your family that was, that was, uh, had troubles going on. And this is one of my pet peeves. So to those who are regular listeners to my show, I apologize, but it's something I'm so passionate about your story, my story, somebody leaned in. And when I hear people be like, Oh, that's the distressed house, or, you know, they have problems. My kids can't play with their kids. I want to punch them in the face Mm -hmm. because you are abandoning that child to being hopeless because they are not able to see any way other of being 
when I was a kid, at least we had the Cosby show. Let's not worry about how it ended, but you know, we had the Cosby show that a mom and a dad that were watching and caring for their children that were involved in their lives. And nowadays on TV, you can't even get that. Right. You don't have a mom and a dad, you know? And in fact, marriage is mocked, Mm -hmm. you know, but that's the only institution that all of history has ever come up with to keep children from, you know, birth to, you know, sufficiently on their own to be safe. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't mind if it's a dad and a dad, I want two adults in the home. I think the ideal is a mother and a father because of the contrast of, um, you know, male to female energy and all that kind of stuff, but just two adults, please two adults in the home, loving and nurturing the children. And if we can't even have that on TV, where are kids that are in these homes isolated going to be able to see and role model how they can make their life amazing. And so you're stepping into a space where you get to be a relatable role model and be like, look, I'm human. Here's my bumps and bruises. But you know, every single person listening, there is somebody in their sphere of influence within, you know, a stone's throw of their home. There is somebody that needs some extra and you could be the person to make that happen. I love that. Even as moms, her stepping in, you're, you're, um, reading kind of a bride, like nice your celebrity hero, in my life. Hero, yeah. right? you're, um, but the thing is, is we can be that way when we invite our, our, our friends, kids in and people in the area and just being that light, they, they get to kind of be around our families. I mean, I can say having a three-year-old with a house full of teenagers, they just loved her. I mean, they, I mean, she just wants to climb in their arms. And there was a new baby when my son was young and all the girls would flock around her. And now that my daughter's 16 and a half, her friends love them and they jump on them and it's, it's a gift. And then my nine-year-old, she's amazing too. And so they have this young, fun energy. Our house is always crazy and the dynamic, but they get to feel that love and they get to see our imperfections and where we are and, and be an example. So I love what you're sharing just, it's okay that things are messy and they're, they can be imperfect. And I dibble and dabble sometimes in the food, but I know how to get back on track, you know, get out of the poop. Is that what you said? I know. Yeah, how to- well, you know, careful. You'll start sounding like me. I talk about the poop all the time. I'm fascinated with the humor of a fifth grader, but, um, I love, I always love it when there's, you know, someone who's, you know, you're not exactly new to speaking. You've been doing it for a while, but new to the national speaker association, because it is this, I am intending to be a role model and I encourage you in that. And I encourage anyone listening, whatever sphere that they're being like, I'm ready to do something bigger. Right. You know, it's not about if you do in the 20 engagements a month or not, it's about the, that's awesome. And I'm proud of Rob and Jason and all those, but you know, I, uh, I like my kids and I like cooking dinner, you know, and, but you know, life doesn't have to be a trade-off of how much we're doing. It's how it connected we're being. Right. Right. That just having the impact on the one and Jason's doing that in his way, Rob's doing that. And I know both of these gentlemen are intentional. Michelle McCullough, she's about to become uh, a certified speaking, you know, CSP, you know, which is, you know. When you're super cool. And by the way, anyone too, I thought it meant a million dollars in business. It's only 50,000. I could have done it. Wow. So their joke is, I think it's can submit paperwork is the joke. It's certified speaking professional, but I think it's can submit paperwork. And that is not what I do. 
that is not one of my natural skill sets. <laughs> like looking well, on the website to see if, you know, it was doable. But anyway, um, you know, these are people who are all intentionally doing something who at one point were not. And people listening, you could do something bigger. But just whatever you're doing, just do your day intentionally. Love that. You know? I love that. Any closing thoughts? Awesome, Talia. Yes, I know people always say my name. Um, it's Talia. Well, I just want to make sure I'm saying it right. Did you Talia? Are. Oh, dang yeah. it! Ah, people say you can call me Letta. The rest of the podcast. Okay. You can call me Letta. Oh, and you know what? Good because even I messed up on your name. I thought at first it was Lita, so it is Letta. No, it's Lita. I was giving oh. you permission to say it wrong oh. since I said yours wrong. And I was saying it right. Well, here's the deal. This is the part I want to share about self-love. It doesn't matter where you're at in your journey. It doesn't matter if you're 30 pounds overweight, if you're at your goal. Because one thing I did realize is even when I was heavy, I had struggles. And even when I lost 80 pounds, I mean, at one point from my top weight, I was down almost 100 pounds. That's when I accidentally got pregnant in my 40s was I kind of took some sugar and flour out of my body and got down to 120s. I mean, at my top weight, I was over 220. I lost a hundred pounds from that span to that. Yeah. And I carry a lot of That's muscle. That's a lot on a five, two knees. Did your knees hurt? Yes. Sorry. I, sh- I shouldn't interrupt it. I was oh, just you're like, okay. ouch. <laughs> but they did hurt. And so what I'm saying is even when I had lost, I mean, from the top range to the bottom range, almost a hundred pounds, there were still stuff in here that I didn't love about myself. You are not a hundred percent perfect when you're skinny versus when you're heavy. You right. can love yourself in the journey absolutely, and, and love yourself where you're at. Because if we always have that thought, oh, I'll love myself if I just weigh 20 pounds less, or if I make, you know, 50,000 more dollars, or, you know, if I make this much money, whatever, no, love yourself as you're going now and what you're doing every day. And that's the piece I want to share is unibrow or not overweight. If you can show and really feel self-love because we can't, we can only love others to the capacity that we can love ourselves. Amen. Right. Yep. Right. And so yep. as you we, almost quoted a phrase from my book. So I'm like, amen, <laughs> preach it. Yeah. But, but really, truly, that's where I'm at is as you share that love and light and love yourself, it almost gives others permission to feel like they can love themselves. True. That's my absolutely. last closing thought. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, they've done studies where if you look in the mirror and you like what you see, your metabolism goes up. Wow. And so practicing self-love, which obviously you and I both teach, I'm assuming you have like an affirmation exercise or something that you teach, right? Because you said, you know, stinking thinking and what you bring about, you speak, you bring about, right. You know, that you cannot, you know, in the Bible, it talks about, you know, there was the word and the word came first, right? Like you cannot make something different if the words around it are toxic, if the words around it are the opposite. You know, and our bodies will fall in line to what we speak. Our minds will fall in line to what we think. And so, you know, think love, think kindness, think generosity, think all of it. And if you're sitting there being like, you know, to you, see, I can't even like come up with bad words. Such a (laughs) habit now, you know, um, but but speaking life. And I would tell my kids speak life, not death. They're like, what does that even mean? Well, anytime you're speaking negative, right. And just when you speak kind words, you're speaking life and truth. Absolutely. And and it will become easier and easier to love yourself. 
And I think it's a great gift of getting older is you get to reflect how well you've learned that lesson. Because I think as I'm starting to see those wrinkles come in, you know, and I'm loving, I literally love my gray hair. Like I'm obsessed, but you know, where somebody might, I'm no longer called the young lady. Yeah. And I feel as beautiful as I've ever felt at any time in my life. And I imagine when I'm 80, I'm still going to think of myself as a hottie, (laughs) but I'm getting to refine where, you know, when we are young, I think I've talked to so many women because of, you know, being a makeup artist, the, the beauty queen to the girl that struggled with her extra weight, whatever spectrum you want to put out there, they all remember not feeling pretty enough. Exactly. And yet they were, you know, in many times that is their pride, right? Like my tummy was never tighter than when I disliked myself. Mm -hmm. Right. So, and so just change your thoughts, change your life, choose your words and you can, that's what I would love to share. Well, I encourage everyone to go to the show notes. I'm, do you have like a newsletter on your website or to, yeah, I do. So it's just tell you, tell you Perfect. And And that'll be spelled correctly in our show notes, people. So you don't have to worry if it's Talia or Tilia or whatever. (laughs) Now I was saying wrong. Um, I always tell people it's like Italian. Take off the I, take off the N. That spells Talia right in the middle. And And my maiden name was Mon. So my name was Lita Mon. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was Lita Mon. (laughs) Lita Mon strong almost. Almost married that guy. But anyway, you know, super funny. So, um, Talia, thank you for yes. making that easier for me to, to look and people look forward to her book. And it sounds like an amazing book to share with people that, um, you know, might be struggling with that because that's really relatable because even though, um, you've heard Talia and I have similarities and what we teach and what we share with the world, having it be their story connects. Absolutely. You know, having it be a reflection of what they've gone through. Um, helps for those that that'd be a great book to sounds like a great book to give as a gift. Well, the, I'm so excited to share this. It's just literally everything I put together. And I do have an awesome podcast called Freedom Flight Ignite. And it's with Talia Riley. So it's on uh, Apple Podcasts. It's on uh, Google, Spotify. You can find it anywhere on my website. You can pull it up. So I like to share those conversations too. And I'm just so grateful to you. Oh, Lita. thank you so much. I won't much. call you Letta. I'll call you Lita. <laughs> no, but I gave you permission. Yeah. <laughs> your big thank chat. you so much for sharing um, and allowing me to be here today. You're amazing. Well, that's what I'm saying to you. Thank you so much for being on and sharing your hotness on this episode of Share Your Hotness. <laughs>